My name is Professor Rachel Bodell, and you're listening to The Bible in a Year, the story podcast, where we encounter a living God that is calling us to live a life from, with, and for Him. This podcast is designed to help you listen to the one connected story of the Bible and understand it perhaps just a little bit better by learning from biblical scholars that have helped me. We will read the Bible out loud and explore how the one connected story of the kingdom of God is unfolding and how we fit into that story today. This is day 138, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, 1 Kings 14, 2 Chronicles 14 and 15, and Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, chapter 3. 1 Kings 14. At that time, Abijah, son of Jeroboam, became ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Go, disguise yourself so you won't be recognized as the wife of Jeroboam. Then go to Shiloh. Ahijah, the prophet, is there, the one who told me I would be king over this people. Take ten loaves of bread with you, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will happen to the boy. So Jeroboam's wife did what he said and went to Ahijah's house in Shiloh. Now Ahijah could not see. His sight was gone because of his age. But the Lord had told Ahijah, Jeroboam's wife is coming to ask you about her son, for he is ill, and you are to give her such and such an answer. When she arrives, she will pretend to be someone else. So when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps at the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why this pretense? I have been sent to you with bad news. Go, tell Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people, Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. But you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. Because of this, I am going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. I will cut off from Jeroboam every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will burn up the house of Jeroboam as one burns dung until it is all gone. Dogs will eat those belonging to Jeroboam who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. The Lord has spoken." As for you, go back home. When you set foot in your city, the boy will die. All Israel will mourn for him and bury him. He is the only one belonging to Jeroboam who will be buried, because he is the only one in the house of Jeroboam in whom the Lord, the God of Israel, has found anything good. The Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who will cut off the family of Jeroboam. Even now, this is beginning to happen, and the Lord will strike Israel, so that it will be like a reed swaying in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land that He gave to their ancestors and scatter them beyond the Euphrates River, because they aroused the Lord's anger by making Asherah poles, and He will give Israel up because of the sins Jeroboam has committed and has caused Israel to commit. Then Jeroboam's wife got up and left and went to Tirzah. As soon as she stepped over the threshold of the house, the boy died. They buried him, and all Israel mourned for him. As the Lord had said through his servant, the prophet Ahijah, the other events of Jeroboam's reign, his wars and how he ruled, are written in the books of the annuals of the king of Israel. He reigned for 22 years and then rested with his ancestors, and Nadab, his son, succeeded him as king. Rehoboam, son of Solomon, was king in Judah. 
He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel in which to put his name. His mother's name was Namah. She was an Ammonite. Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They all set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land. The people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. In the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Israel. He carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything, including all the gold shields Solomon had made. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields to replace them and assigned them these to the commanders of the guard on duty at the entrance to the royal palace. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards bore the shields and afterward they returned them to the guard room. As for the other events of Rehoboam's reign and all he did, are they not written in the book of the annuals of the kings of Judah? There were continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and the Rehoboam rested with his ancestors and was buried with them in the city of David. His mother's name was Namah, she was an Ammonite, and Abijah, his son, succeeded him as king. Second Chronicles 14 And Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. Asa, his son, succeeded him as king, and in his days the country was at peace for ten years. Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his laws and commands. He removed the high places and incense altars in every town in Judah, and the kingdom was at peace under him. He built up the fortified cities of Judah since the land was at peace. No one was at war with him during those years, for the Lord gave him rest. Let us build up these towns, he said to Judah, and put walls around them with towers, gates, and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. Asa had an army of 300,000 men from Judah, equipped with large shields and with spears, and 280,000 from Benjamin, armed with small shields and with bows. All these were brave fighting men. Zerah, the Cushanite, marched out against them with an army of thousands upon thousands and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. Asa went out to meet him, and they took up battle positions in the valley of Zephathah, near Marashah. Then Asa called to the Lord his God and said, Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty. Help us, Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let mere mortals prevail against us. The Lord struck down the Cushites before Asa and Judah. The Cushites fled, and Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. Such a great number of Cushites fell that they could not recover. They were crushed before the Lord and his forces. The men of Judah carried off a large amount of plunder. They destroyed all the villages around Gerar, for the terror of the Lord had fallen on them. They looted all these villages since there was much plunder there. They also attacked the camps of the herders and carried off droves of sheep and goats and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. He went out to meet Asa and said to him, Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. 
The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God, without a priest to teach and without the law. But in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, and he was found by them. In those days, it was not safe to travel about, for all the inhabitants of the land were in great turmoil. One nation was being crushed by another and one city by another, because God was troubling them with every kind of distress. But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. When Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded, the prophet, he took courage. He removed the detestable idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the towns he had captured in the hills of Ephraim. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he assembled all Judah and Benjamin and the people from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who had settled among them. For large numbers had come over to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They assembled at Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. At that time, they sacrificed to the Lord seven hundred head of cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from the plunder they had brought back. They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, with all their heart and soul. All who would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, were to be put to death, whether small or great, man or woman. They took an oath to the Lord with loud acclamation, with shouting, with trumpets and horns. All Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought God eagerly, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. King Asa also disposed his grandmother, Makah, from her position as queen mother because she had made a repulsive image for the worship of Asherah. Asa cut it down, broke it up, and burned it in the Kidron Valley. Although he did not remove the high places from Israel, Asa's heart was fully committed to the Lord all his life. He brought into the temple of God the silver and gold and the articles that he and his father had dedicated. There was no more war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Song of Songs, chapter 3. All night long, on my bed, I look for the one my heart loves. I look for him, but did not find him. I will get up now and go about the city, through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. The watchmen found me as they made their rounds in the city. Have you seen the one my heart loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found the one my heart loves. I held him and would not let him go, till I had brought him to my mother's house, to the room of the one who conceived me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, by the gazelles and by the does of the field, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage, escorted by sixty warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seats was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with love. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, your daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. We read chapter three of eight chapters in the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, also referred to in the Catholic Bible, as I mentioned, the Song of Solomon. Dr. Mackey describes it as a book that is well known, but not well understood. It's eight chapters of love poetry. And while there is an introduction and conclusion, 
there isn't a clear literary design, but more of a collection of love poems. Dr. Mackey cautions against taking these poems apart or narrowly zooming into each one, but rather taking them together and appreciating them as a collection. The title of the book, The Song of Songs, written in the first line of chapter one, is a Hebrew idiom like King of Kings or Lord of Lords. It's the Song of Songs, so it's the greatest song of all the songs. And as Marty Solomon says, singing was an important tool for the ancient Israelites, and dare I say, us too, in seasons of suffering, transition, and rhythms to remind us of the story so as not to forget and fall away. It's easy to understand why some call it the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, because in the first line it reads, the Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Dr. Mackey points out that this could mean King Solomon wrote it, but it could also mean it was written of Solomon like the wisdom tradition. 1 Kings 4, verses 29 to 34, talked about how Solomon was known for wisdom, poetry, and a love of learning. Dr. Mackey describes him as the forefather of this style of wisdom tradition writing. As we're reading, if we are noticing, the main voice is that of a woman referred to as the beloved. And while there is a male voice and the name Solomon is brought up, it doesn't seem in content and context to be Solomon himself. As Dr. Mackey says, when Solomon is mentioned by name, he doesn't speak directly. And... After all, the story is about one man and one woman in a one flesh, deeply connected love relationship. And Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. It might make more sense, and Marty Solomon also mentioned this, to consider how the Israelite author may have put this book into the voice of Solomon's wisdom, as we've seen done before in Ecclesiastes. For me personally, this might seem odd, but I'm okay loosely holding some theories on who wrote what in the scriptures because I hold the one connected story of God being revealed to us as we've been reading to be the only and absolutely God-breathed theological truth that has a connected authority in our reality regarding really important things like who God is in relation to us and all creation, what has and is happening, what Jesus did for us, is doing and has promised to do, and what he's asking, calling us to be a part of still as the story is unfolding today. Dr. Mackey draws our attention to how much garden context is used in these love poems, which is really cool to reflect on, and how he sees this as pointing back to Adam and Eve in the garden scenario. It feels like we are looking in in someone else's private world where they are completely vulnerable and connected to one another, pursuing one another. I'll share more about Marty Solomon's thoughts on the Hebrew concepts of love and how the different types are connected and revealed, emphasized in this story. It's really cool. But before we move on, I will also mention that some Jewish rabbinical and Catholic teachings, as well as Protestant teachings, do make some allegorical connections between this book with the man and the woman and the relationship of God and Israel. Jewish tradition, or Jesus in the church, like Ephesians 5, Catholics, and often Protestant traditions. Yet Dr. Mackey points out how archaeologists have uncovered ancient Egyptian and Babylonian love poetry, which is written very similarly. It seems to be a part of the wider culture, but the Israelites are reflecting on God's divine gift of love. And as we've seen with the Old Testament, a distinction is being made in God's story from all the others, like all the 
Babylonian and Egyptian, other stories that are similar. Dr. Macdi describes the key as the garden imagery, pointing back to the beginning in Genesis 1 and 2, where men and women were created to be blessed with purpose, provision, and progeny, and as the language here alludes and connects back to the couple, is vulnerable to one another, unified, and safe with each other, designed for blessing and to be a blessing in God's story, where we reflect Him, intercede for one another, are prodigally generous, and helping each other navigate to Jesus for atonement and putting God on display as we bear His name. We also continue to have the divided kingdom and the larger story progressing. To orient us, we have the kingdom in the north, Israel with the capital in Samaria, Their king, Jeroboam, made an entirely new faith to avoid the people going to Jerusalem to make sacrifices to God at the temple and possibly turning their allegiance from him, Jeroboam. The southern kingdom, which is the emphasis of 2 Chronicles, is the tribe of Judah with the capital in Jerusalem. And while they do not always obey God and have faith, the Levitical priesthood and the temple are here. And the king at that time was Rehoboam and has transitioned to his son Abijah. But this is also super confusing because the king of the north, Jeroboam, also had a son named Abijah as we started the story in 1 Kings 14. Father Mike Schmitz points out how even if and when we have positions of power or abundance like King Jeroboam, we or our family whom we love will experience sickness and death. Let's notice how Jeroboam didn't go to any of his artificial religions, religious people or places. He sent his wife to Ahijah, a true prophet of Yahweh God. Maybe it was guilt or a lack of faith, but he did also have her kind of go under a ruse. But God said through Ahijah to Jeroboam's wife how Jeroboam's faithlessness and leading of Israel into faithlessness will end in disaster. Yet God saw good in his son Ahijah, yet he would die, but he would be buried and mourned. And we learn that Nadab, Jeroboam's son, will be king next. But their future, we already know, oh, it's going to be rough. But God is faithful. And we talked about in the past how if we move to the Gospel of John and when they ultimately sort of become the Samaritans, they'll be folded back into the story. We also read that the king of the south, Rehoboam, made horrible leadership choices too, leading the people of Judah in the south into evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all their fathers had done, making false gods and false worship practices. Ah! But we also read a story about King Asa, who was faithful to the Lord, leading the people towards faithfulness to the Lord, and that was in the southern kingdom. Remember, In the ancient Israel time, the queen was the king's mother. In this case, it was Asa's grandmother. And he was even willing to remove her from her position of authority because of her faithlessness. I can't imagine that was easy, but he kept his focus on being faithful and leading the people into God's faithfulness. So much to reflect on here. Pray for me, I'm praying for you. My prayer is this, found in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What is this fruit? It is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Galatians 5, 22 through 24. See you tomorrow.